we have thousands of people in our group where their child has been on Miralax for an extended period of time and they're dealing with anxiety. I really think that's where this all starts. It starts off as like OCD, starts off as anxiety, maybe some behavioral issues. And then the longer, the less informed you are and the longer you remain on this drug, the greater the risk is to opening that door wider to health complications. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len, and with me today is Mike Kohler. And we're going to have a discussion about a topic that, frankly, I didn't know too much about until relatively recently. This is something where, whether it's people close to us or even the clients that we coach, this is a, an issue, a potential issue that's affecting many more people than I thought. So the secret this week is just to say no to PEG. And we'll talk about what PEG is and why this is something which right now to become better informed is a really, really important thing for you to do for yourself and your child. So welcome, Mike. Hey, Len, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's important to really understand what PEG or polyethylene glycol is. And what that is, Len, is it's, it's really, it's just, it's the only ingredient Miralax, you know, a commonly used over-the-counter laxative that when people have an issue um, going number two or having a bowel movement, Doctors are very, very quick to prescribe this over-the-counter laxative, and there are no other ingredients in it, no other inactives, no other active ingredients. It contains a single ingredient, Miralax does, and it's called polyethylene glycol 3350. And, and what that is, when I look at a material safety data sheet for pharmaceutical grade polyethylene glycol 3350, it really contains a lot of, a lot of impurities, if you will. So when we say it's just one ingredient, it's truly just one ingredient, but inside that one ingredient, we're going to find things like ethylene glycol. We're going to find things like diethylene glycol, formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, 1,4-dioxane, free ethylene oxide, and even some heavy metals, some nickel and some other heavy metals that, uh, that are just, they're just not good for us. And so when we think about polyethylene glycol or PEG, as it's often referred to, we think it's really this innocent chemical. And, you know, so when we you know, our child was four years old when he was first prescribed Miralax and he was prescribed Miralax by a, by a urologist because he was, he was potty trained, but then all of a sudden he's wet in the bed. And, and why is he wet in the bed? It's because his colon is impacted. And so the colon was applying some pressure to his bladder. And so he wasn't able to hold his urine as long as he wanted to. And this is really a common problem for children as they become like you know, a lot of things cause constipation or impactions, and those things might be like diet's a big one, right? Especially when we transition sure. from, you know, when we get off the formula or the breast milk and we start transitioning to solids. And sometimes, you know, our body is, you know, obviously as, a, as an infant, we're not used to that. So in our group, Parents Against Miralax, we really probably see this as the most common cause of constipation is when, when children come off of the breast milk or the, or the formula and children are, are constipated as they begin their solids. In our case, I really think, I think, you know, our, our issue started when we started getting busy. You know, that's, that's so common today with American families, right? You know, we, you know, we're, we're in soccer, we're in karate, we don't have time to prepare dinner, we're going through the drive-thru, we're eating cheese curds, we're resulting to milk, you know, and a lot of dairy products are very constipating. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think, you know, looking back on this now, some, some 13 years later, I really think that that was a big problem for us. And so, the urologist said, Miralax, that's going to take care of your problem. And I want your son on it for, for about a year and a half, I think is what the original prescription was. So, so the first, the first time that that was suggested to you, they said, even then, like, go on it. And for that long of a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. It was an extended period of time. And what was so surprising about that was like, you know, as parents, we really trust the medical professionals, right? Because I don't wear a white coat. I don't have a degree. I'm a parent and I'm looking for some help, right? And I'm really going to trust the professional because 
that's what they do. That's what they see every day. They have all the data. They have all the knowledge. They have everything, right? They're the expert in their field. And what really <laughs> tore us apart was, and now when we look back on this whole picture, we see, gosh, it was the urologist. It was the cardiologist. It was the pediatrician. And then eventually, you know, unfortunately for us, even the gastrointestinal doctor, the GI specialist, and then eventually even the neurologist. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later, why we're seeing a neurologist and what led to our son's diagnosis of epilepsy. And, and you know, so it's it's everybody that was prescribing the Miralax. And so each, uh, those, went, each of those professionals agreed that Miralax was key or was it just? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so it was, um, it was, uh, you know, and it's important to understand that the label for Miralax really only states that it's to be used in patients over the age of 17 and not for longer than a week. So seven days. And I <laughs> can we just pause on that? Because sure. uh, like in preparing for this and diving more into this and hearing you speak um, uh, some some presentations you've made. That what you just said to, is the big WTF for, for me, because just, again, coming at this as not having a lot of personal experience with this. Our son had the opposite problem. He was he wasn't constipated. He was uh, he, he, he had uh, a lot of frequent movements. But I know Miralax is something that is so prevalent. So many people use it, especially with kids. So the fact that you just said two things, one that the label for this product, right? Whether this product is you know, positive or negative, I'm, I'm neutral. The package says, this is not a product to give to children, anyone you know, 17 or under. So, so that is on the label of Miralax, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And the same thing with uh, not more than seven days. Well, that's that's the other thing. Okay, so now seven days... That makes sense because most over-the-counter products, they'll say, hey, you know, you use this tactically, you know, to relieve symptoms. And there's a lot of products that say, okay, now you're not supposed to use it long-term. And so Miralax being one of those where it says no more than seven days. So given that, that that's on the label, it is eyebrow raising that the first doctor that you ran into immediately said, ignored all that and said a year and a half for your then what five-year-old he was four yeah cool. and it's and it's even well it's documented in his medical file i have i have copies of his medical file i've pulled it many times you know and um because i you know i want to see if there's been anything added or deleted or changed or modified you know whatever you know and it's because i want to keep a close eye on this mm-hmm. over the years and and it's and it's really yeah it's it's crazy because that's what we see in our group too so our, our our social media group is is on Facebook. It's Parents Against Miralax, where we have we're approaching seventy five thousand members. I think when I looked this morning before I got on with you, we're at seventy four thousand eight hundred and sixty one or something like that. It's sizable. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And when I joined that group back in two thousand fifteen, I was member number eight hundred and something. You know, I, I remember eight hundred. And then when we we did a, a story with um, ABC Six in Philadelphia with Wendy Saltzman, and Wendy ended up doing a couple stories with us. And they're both on the on, on Google searches. You know, if you Google ABC6 Miralax, you'll find us. And um, But when we did those stories with Wendy, we grew from like 3,000 members to like 20,000 almost overnight. And the group has just continued to grow and grow and grow. This is really a worldwide problem. And I, and I, I mean that. I'm actually talking with a parent right now over in Europe whose son actually, he, he passed away. And, um, and it gives me the chills to even mention that. And and really what I'm doing is I'm providing scientific data for him because I do have a lot of articles, a lot of, a lot of scientific papers where we start talking about like, and my theory, you know, my hypothesis behind all of this is that what Miralax does is it takes all of our bacteria in our gut and it, it literally flushes it down the toilet. So it, it's emptying us out, you know, diarrhea, long-term diarrhea or loose stools it is not healthy for us. It's, you know, I mean, you think about C. difficile, right? C. difficile is nothing but diarrhea. It's loose stools, constant loose stools. And so what I refer to like with Miralax, you know, osmotically osmotically, like induced diarrhea is is what Miralax does. It's an osmotic laxative. So what it does is somehow somebody, this polyethylene glycol, this PEG, is able to take the water out of our body. So it's dehydrating us. It, It pushes it into the colon or into the intestines and it pushes our stools through and it's inducing diarrhea. Well, 
diarrhea, it's it's going to contain a lot of bacteria. And so, and it's not only going to contain, you know, unfortunately, this drug can't just say, hey, I just want the bad guys. I just want to take the bad bacteria out of you. It's to take all the bacteria. And so, especially when we start like producing like clear or like watery stools, you know, if the if the stool is transitioning from dark color to a light color, that's maybe even worse yet because now we don't have anything left in there, right? So our microbiome is going to repopulate and unfortunately, it never really returns to the baseline or where we were at before all this started. And so what's going to happen is you're going to become overrun with pathogenic bacteria. And, and we see this in some scientific papers where we see a transition of the microbiome from an anaerobic environment because our, 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 our microbiome doesn't like oxygen. Because when you think about like oxygen... And when we think about reactive oxygen species or the bacteria that thrive on oxygen, and those are the bad guys, right? Those are the things that really, they do some harm to the body. And we then have an aerobic environment, and now we're taking in some oxygen into our microbiome. We have these reactive oxygen species, and then all of a sudden, we're dealing with a constant state of inflammation. And now we're even in a little bit more trouble. And again, I'm far from an expert on this stuff, but I've read a lot of papers over the years. You know, I've been at this for about eight years. And what we what we find then is a chronic state of inflammation. The intestinal barrier is compromised. Things are getting into our bloodstream that don't belong. And then eventually the blood-brain is the blood-brain barrier is compromised. We activate microglia. And then all of a sudden, in the case of our son, you know, he's having seizures. So, you know, we're we're one before we get to the, to the seizures, and thank you for eloquently describing that whole chain reaction but just going back to the start for a second the root or the or the initial issue perhaps in this whole chain is the fact and putting it in very layman's terms your body your gut usually has a balance of good bacteria bad bacteria for lack of a better word yeast a whole a whole community in there and what you're suggesting based on what you've learned is that Ultimately, the good bacteria is being kind of wiped out or eradicated, and and uh, the bad bacteria is thriving in this new environment. So you have this imbalance that basically starts this whole chain reaction that creates um, ultimately these symptoms that your child might be experiencing. Is that fair to fair to say? I think that is fair, and and a good in the the medical term for that, I believe what we're looking for is when we have that imbalance. So. When we're in balance, we have a healthy microbiome, we're, we're doing well. And, but when we have the imbalanced microbiome, the medical term we might be looking for there is uh, dysbiosis. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and I so, was wondering if it was something, if, if it was still that, or maybe went by a different name, because you have dysbiosis, which is that imbalance. And then you also have something called leaky gut, which many people are familiar with, which that's not what we're talking about here as much as this, it's the dysbiosis, correct? Yeah, and I think we could even go into leaky gut a little bit because really what we're seeing is we're seeing like, so this bacteria is used to create short-chain fatty acids, right? And neurotransmitters, and we could touch on neurotransmitters a little bit later, but let's talk about leaky gut maybe for a second. So butyrate, a short-chain fatty acid, it really takes, it's kind of the glue for the intestinal barrier, right? It really like keeps the intestinal barrier intact. And even in reviewing the drug application to bring Miralax over the counter in 2006, um, on page 29 of 87 and part two of that drug application, the FDA actually admits, it's a, it's Dr. Karen Fibus, an FDA reviewer. She admits that Miralax reduces the level of short-chain fatty acids. And she talks briefly about butyrate. And what she goes on to say in that review is that the long-term implications are unknown. And then she raises a theoretical concern of like off-label use of Miralax and and what, and, and what kills me about all of this is that doctors are so quick to prescribe this drug off-label when Dr. Karen Fibus in 2006, so 17 years ago, when she did this review, it's well documented, documented that it, it, there is this theoretical concern over the off-label use of Miralax. But yeah, doctors around the world, I, I kid you not, you know, Canada, we have a lot of Canadians in our group, you know, people from Australia, Europe, it's, it's everywhere. And the drug is... And, and, and no, by the way, it goes by different names in those countries. Correct? Yep, exactly. And and so in Canada, it's Restorelax, and in Europe, it's uh, Movacol, or even um, the gentleman I'm I'm working with right now, it's uh, Laxadol, I do believe. But you know, at the end of the day, they all have the same 
ingredient in them, and it's it's this PEG thirty three fifty or polyethylene glycol thirty three fifty, and um, and so really, so when we talk about like leaky gut, so if you read up on butyrate, you know, so butyrate really provides like this barrier for the for the intestinal barrier. It really kind of is the glue, and I, and I think Doctor, I think Doctor Zach Bush actually talks about this to some extent anyway about the importance of butyrate and leaky gut. But yes. so I, I think I think really with Miralax, I think we're dealing with both. I think we're dealing with the imbalance of the microbiome. We're dealing with leaky gut. And so because the, these impurities are getting into our bloodstream, we have the inflammation, we have the unbalanced microbiome. And really, it, you know, Pandora's box opens up then. And anything and everything under the sun is possible. We're talking about like behavioral problems. Or we're talking about ticks. We're talking about, in our case, it was, it was seizures. Because not... Not everybody in our group, not, you know, all 75,000 members are, are saying, hey, my child has seizures. What's going on here? But we do have a good contingency of people that do come to our group and they do have like some some seizures, you know, behavior is a big one, OCD, anxiety. You know, these are some of the some of the more well-known symptoms, but then there are some, you know, there's <laughs> there are other people that are coming to us with, you know, my child is all of a sudden just angry and is dealing with like rage and is like suicidal. And, and, um, and that we experienced some of that as well. Our son, our son at the age of eight years old, you know, he was a very typical um, kid up until the age of eight. Um, The end of second grade is when he started having the seizures and, and excuse the pun here, but this is about when the the wheels started falling off the bus. And, um, and he, you know, the seizures, we, you know, we, we didn't really didn't recognize the seizures unless we were really looking at him because they were, they were called, uh, he had temporal lobe epilepsy is what he was diagnosed with. And he had these simple partial seizures. So these weren't kind of like the, when you think of seizures, they weren't the grand mal seizures where he would fall down to the ground and have convulsions, so to speak, even though he eventually did have a couple of those. But he had these, uh, these simple partial seizures where he would just kind of check out for like 30 seconds or so. And unless you were really looking at him, you wouldn't know that he was having one. Well, the ironic thing is we got deeper and deeper into the Miralax. Um, late into 2014, he, my, my wife would give the Miralax and our son would have like a cluster of seizures. And so we finally started connecting the dots and shame on us that it took this long. But, um, you know, we, we, went to the, we went to the doctor and we said, you know, hey, what's going on here? Why, why are you just prescribing Miralax? We're starting to ask more questions. We're like, what are some natural alternatives to treating the constipation? Because constipation is a serious issue. We, you can't be constipated because it can kill you, you know, but um, let's hope nobody takes it to that extreme. And in our group, we really do have some, some very well-versed people that talk about the constipation and there are other alternatives besides Miralax for constipation and some good alternatives out there. But, you know, the doctor finally says to us, well, geez, did you try some chia seeds or did you try like some prune juice? Did you, you know, some, so some other ideas, right? And, you know, then we get into 2015 and in January of 2015 and, you know, they want to do a clean out on our son. They want to use an NG tube with a product called Golightly. Now, if anybody's had a colonoscopy, you might know what Golightly is because this used to be the gold standard for colonoscopies. And ironically enough, Golightly contains 238 grams of polyethylene glycol 3350, which again is the only ingredient Miralax. So here we are, and, the, and mind you now, this drug is not even labeled for, there's a pediatric warning on it. I believe it, on the label, I believe the pediatric warning is 8.3 on the label. And, and then there's also a seizure warning, which I think is like 5.3 on the label. But anyway, so they use this drug, this Golightly on our son with the NG tube. And at the same time, the New York Times article comes out, and I and I say that because this is when Miralax appeared on the front page of the New York Times, not a section, not the health section, the front page of the paper. And my good friend Jeannie Ward, she she's worked diligently at this. I love Jeannie. I love Carol Chittenden. She's the uh, she's the director of the uh, nonprofit group Empire State Consumer Project, and they worked diligently to get this on the front page of the New York Times. And now what happened is the FDA. They tested Miralax. They tested eight lots of Miralax in 2008. And these results, this also may not resonate too well with you, Len, but the FDA tested eight lots of Miralax in 2008. They did not release their findings until this New York Times article of 2015. So they took seven years to tell the public that these eight lots of Miralax contained the impurities of ethylene glycol and diethylene glycol. 
Now, a quick history lesson here on diethylene glycol. That is why the FDA was started. Back in 1938, we had a cough syrup issue, and this cough syrup contained diethylene glycol, and hundreds of people were dying from this diethylene glycol. And the FDA wrote up, they drafted the Food Drug Cosmetic Act of 1938, and the FDA was formed. We still are governed by that very same Food Drug Cosmetic Act of 1938 today, which is needs to be written, rewritten, in my opinion. But um, anyway, so getting back to the impurities of Miralax, you know, so this, this article appears, the FDA didn't say anything until 2015. I'm in the hospital. My, my son was just cleaned out with Go Lightly. And he, prior to that, he was actually seen by a neurologist and they, um, they did a 24-hour video EEG on our son to see if he had any seizure activity. And the video EEG came back normal, so no seizure activity. Great news, right? That's exactly what we wanted to hear. But then they did this cleanse with this go lightly. And, um, and, you know, well into the cleanse, it was really late at night, early in the morning, and he's really sick. And finally, the nurse said, we're done. But most of the product had been used anyway. I mean, it's coming up both ends. He's he's in bad shape. Yeah. And so we finally get discharged from the hospital, and... Um, he had he he had over 20 seizures over the following nine days when we left the hospital. So we said, you know what? We're done with the medical community, you know, because they're not helping us out. They're just, they continue to drag their feet on this. We need to take his care into our own hands. We need to figure this out. And so I, I researched on the internet, you know, the internet's a wonderful thing, good and bad, you know, a lot of bad things out there. So you got to be careful. But in 2015, I joined the group Parents Against Miralax. I was, again, number 800 and something. And, um, and that's when I met Jeannie Ward. And, um, and she told me about naturopathic medicine. And this is really where it kind of gets pretty interesting because I had no idea what naturopathic medicine was. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I found a great naturopath. I, I, I reside here in Madison, Wisconsin. And Dr. Carrie Decker was literally just down the street from my office. It was a blessing. You know, got to meet Dr. Carrie Decker. She does a couple simple tests. She does a urinalysis. We collect some stool. We do a stool analysis. We send that off to the lab. And, and here's what we find out. We find out our son has zero lactobacillus. Well, what is, what's lactobacillus? It's, it's the good bacteria in your gut, right? So, you know, our, our son has zero, you know, so and this stuff is really, you know, from my understanding, helps fight off inflammation. It helps out mm-hmm. producing short chain fatty acids. It helps out producing neurotransmitters. And all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, this isn't so good, is it? So, you know, a simple protocol laid out by Dr. Decker of a quality probiotic, some colostrum, and some, and our son's glutathione level also was in the in the gutter. So uh, a, glutathi- a glutathione supplement. And the transformation we saw in our son in 2015. So let's get back to third grade. Let's pause there for a second. But let's talk about third grade. Our son, so our son was very typical kindergarten through second grade. End of second grade is when things kind of the wheels were falling off the bus, right? Yeah. But um, third grade, the wheels are off the bus. The, the, the wheels are flat, and he's in he's in dire straits. He's punching kids. He's pushing kids out of line. He's not doing his homework. He's literally taking it up, throwing it in a ball. We're at soccer practice one day. One kid really irritates him and he pulls back. He's going to punch this kid. He's beat red in the face. He's angry. And I'm like, whoa, this, I mean, he's stepping out. He's pouncing on kids' feet on the soccer field. My kid's out of control. And what do I do as a parent? How am I supposed to control this? How do I know, like, what's going on here? And, um, and my family is in a dark place. My wife and I, we were just talking about it uh, just the other night on a walk. Just like it was either last night or the night before. And um, we're like, geez, if we didn't find these answers, we wouldn't be divorced. We would be divorced. We wouldn't be together. We were in a dark, dark place. And so thankfully for Dr. Decker, we discovered the importance of the microbiome. And when we started those three simple supplements, the transformation of our son was amazing. You know, we were at Disney World in the summer of 2015, and he had some, uh, he had some dysgraphia. We're seeing an OT for for various reasons, his OCD, his anxiety, his, his dysgraphia, all this stuff. Cause he would, he would get stuck when he would dot his eyes. And when, so he would dot his eyes, he would have to, his, his dot was like the size of a 50 cent piece. And this would have to be colored in to its entirety. 
And he, he was stuck. He couldn't get past this. Like he was stuck. And um, we're at Disney World and, uh, and we see him like making some notes of what we're seeing at, at Animal Kingdom. And he's moving right along. I'm like kind of watching a little, you know, we're close, but not too close. Watching from afar, and we're like, I said to my wife, I'm like, should I go over there and help him? Because we're so accustomed to like helping him and nurturing him along, and we want him to make good decisions, and we don't need a meltdown at Disney World. And my wife's like, you know, stop for a second, just let him see if he gets past this. He got past it. He's right along. He dots his eyes correctly. And I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, we're we're right where we need to be with all of this. And you know, in the school by the by in third grade, you know, they wanted an IEP. They wanted to take him out of a traditional classroom setting. They wanted him to kind of be get into special ed. And because, I'm like, he, because he was so disruptive. Because he was so disruptive, he was, you know, an IEP is an individual education plan. And um, and we're like, wow, are you kidding me? I mean, monthly we're meeting with like the teacher, the social worker, the counselor, the principal, us, the parents. You know, he remained in the classroom and, and we're talking about what can we do to make things better for, for our son? And we, we were at a loss. And but, you know, as we got into the summer, we reached and we got back home and we, we continued with OT therapy. And, um, you know, we reached back out to the school. And we said, you know, hey, we've seen some improvements. What do you guys think about putting this IEP on hold? Let's keep him in a traditional classroom setting and let's move forward in a positive direction. The school agreed, surprisingly enough. And they said, you know, hey, he's going to be on a pretty short leash, but we'll, we'll take your word for it. He can remain in a, in a traditional classroom setting going into fourth grade, but we're going to be monitoring him pretty closely. So he did. And he, he did fine. It's not like he thrived, but he made steps. And, you know, he's obviously been in a traditional classroom setting since. And now today as a junior in high school, as a 17-year-old young man, you know, he makes honor roll. He's, uh, his GPA is like 3.6 as a cumulative GPA. He's doing great, you know, so getting into the microbiome, you know, the Miralax really. So that's why I've come up with this crazy hypothesis, right? I mean, the Miralax, and we even see it. There's medical literature out there. You know, um, we talked a little bit off air um, about this recent study that just came out of a children's hospital in Columbus, um, Nationwide Children's Hospital. And these doctors, they, they have a paper where it says, you know, hey, Miralax disrupts the microbiome but it doesn't lead to anxiety. Well, they observe these mice for two weeks. So if you take an antibiotic, we know the antibiotic disrupts the microbiome, right? But if you take an antibiotic for 14 days, do you have anxiety after 14 days of an antibiotic use? The answer is no. You know, hey, we need to look at this a little bit more seriously. We need a little bit longer research here than two weeks. You know, that's not quite enough, you know? And so, because people are, and, and of course they publish this, right? Like they, they publish this paper saying Murelax doesn't lead to anxiety. You know, and that's their their finding. And but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, we have thousands of people in our group where their child has been on Miralax for an extended period of time, and they're dealing with anxiety. You know, and that's where I really think that's where this all starts. It starts off as like OCD, starts off as anxiety, maybe some behavioral issues, and then the longer the less informed you are, and the longer you remain on this drug the greater the risk is to opening that door wider to health complications. And that's my message to people, like, especially, you know, cause people come to our group, is this, you know, is this a typical two-year-old boy? Is this a, is my daughter typical at the age of four if she's pushing kids? Is this, you know, why am I experiencing these behavioral issues? And what people don't understand is you can't really, you really can't control some of those behavioral issues. You know, if this is a, a end result of the drug, you know, you, you can't, you can't correct that. Like as a parent, I mean, that's tough to do because this child maybe has very little control over it. You know, one of the things we experienced in third grade, my, our son, you know, I didn't think my son should go to this, this dance, you know, and um, they had a DJ and, and crazy to think in third grade, you know, DJ and stuff like that. And this dance and my wife took him anyway. And I, I didn't go because I don't think he should be there. And, um, but he was overstimulated. And he, he punched my wife repeatedly on the face, causing some minor bruising by her eye. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, that's not our son. That wasn't our son. You know, he would, as a 17-year-old kid, I'll tell you right now, he would never do that. But because he was overstimulated because of this drug, because of his emotions and his mental health issues at that, at that time, you know, and, and of course, then how do I handle that as a parent? You know, I didn't handle that correctly because he didn't, that wasn't him. 
But of course, I, I thought it was him. And of course, you know, you raise your voice, you're like, yeah, you sit him down, you have a conversation. Sure. But yeah, it's, we were in a dark spot as parents, you know, back then. And, and I tell you, as we get into the science of this drug, and there, again, the papers out there, you know, there's so many, there's so many references out there about Miralax altering the microbiome. And we talk about like, you know, the microbiome doesn't like oxygen and it's an, an anaerobic environment and it converts it to an aerobic environment. And we, and we have, we have trouble and, and, and really what ends up happening is we have a chronic state of inflammation and a chronic inflammatory state is, is more trouble. And now that can, you know, result in the, comp- you know, the blood brain barrier being compromised. And, um, and really, I think if you, if you take the time to read up on the short chain fatty acid butyrate, and I think, you know, Len, this is even a big one for me, you know, and I don't know much about autism, but I, I've seen it mentioned in, out there a lot about butyrate being deficient in like the autistic population. And, um, you know, and, and so I just wonder if like that's a connection with the microbiome, if there's some like shift in the microbiome there where the microbiome is not producing the butyrate, but butyrate's a big one to me. I've, you know, as, especially when it comes to mental health and, um, and I have, you know, I've done a lot of work on, on butyrate as well. And it's, you know, even a recent paper talking about COVID, you know, um, COVID may be tied back into the microbiome, you know, and at least, you know, long-term COVID and, you know, butyrate, the one paper refers to it as like a causing neuropsychiatric side effects. And, uh, and I'm more than happy to, to send that paper to you because it's, it's a good read in my opinion. Yeah, no, we will include it in the show notes and it's a good opportunity for me just to comment again that, Hey, Mike and I, neither one of us is a medical doctor. And so what we're sharing is references to information that's in the scientific literature, studies that are being done. And again, this is all about you as the parent, understanding what's happening with you and your child. And uh, what I've learned, and I think, Mike, your story is the same, is getting better informed or more informed than you think is a really smart move because there's a lot of information that's out there in terms of a root cause of what might be behind your child's behaviors. Mike shared his story and thank you for sharing that, Mike. And I know we've shared our story as well. The maddening thing is every child is so uniquely different and the behaviors or the symptoms that you're seeing in them or what they're expressing is going to be wildly different from child to child and from person to person. But there's always some root cause or causes that are behind what you're seeing. And so today's discussion is all about this one ingredient, PEG, and whether this is something that, as you look at your situation, is this something that's relevant for you to do a deeper dive on? It's amazing how many people I now personally know, because I'm more aware to this, of children who have been on it for extremely long periods of time, parents that we talk to who have been on it themselves for years and they all i think all these people that we've talked to are aware that there might be some issues but they don't really understand it as well as i think you've articulated and then the 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 most immediate question is okay well if not miralax then what can i give my child so in your case mike i know based on the i'm guessing was a cdsa a stool analysis that yielded the information that there was, you know, a, a lacking like that probiotics were going to address what was lacking in your son's gut. Um, what else can you throw out in terms of what other things can a parent take for themselves or give their child in place of Miralax? Because I know what I keep hearing is it's the only thing that's effective, and that's why they continue to take it. No, exactly, and that's a great question, and you know. What really worked for us back in the day is is getting away from dairy. Um, that was that was a big one, and and also making some dietary changes, more fruits and vegetables, and and even a little bit more exercise. You know, our son at this time, you know, when we were coming out of the whole constipation seizure thing, a little bit of exercise really goes a long way. And so what we what we did is we and this is true with any young children, you know, and and. Um, we, we purchased a, an indoor like fitness trampoline. And so we used the, instead of like the springs, cause we don't like the springs. We found one that had more of these bands on it. Right. And I think it's a uh, jump smart might be the, uh, the name of the brand, but anyway, we, we purchased this little like four foot indoor fitness trampoline and gosh, just getting our son to move. 
um, it's it's surprising how things then get moving, you know, besides just you physically, but then internally things get moving. And, and that, you know, because it's something we're still concerned about today, even as him being 17 years old, hey, you know, we're not, we're not going to go in there and observe his ball movement. But at the same time, you know, hey, is everything okay? You do, you're doing okay? Like everything looking good? And and, and I ask him that periodically. Hey, is everything everything moving along okay? And and um, he's like, would you just leave me alone? Enough is enough already. And yes, everything's just fine. But yeah, no. And even even back then, you know, a little prune juice, you know, a little um, an Epsom salt bath. You know, we used as warm water as he would tolerate. You know, because that seemed to make a big difference. Um, even the aloe vera juice has been like successful with some parents. We never really resulted that to that. But um, and then also like castor oil packs. You know, tummy massages. You know, and those. Those are some things that we've that have been referenced in our group. And even if you do, if you are stuck on constipation, while I really don't talk much about constipation myself because it's it's behind us, right? It's no longer an issue for us and my family. But um, you know, in our group, we have a, an administrative team of about twenty people. We have we have a guide on constipation that our group developed, and actually, even Steve Hodges, um, Doctor Steve Hodges, reached out to me recently because his patients come back to him and say, "Hey." that guide that those people over at Parents Against Miralax developed is pretty effective. And so Dr. Hodges, I love the man. I think he's great. He has his own protocol called MOP, and I'm not going to get what the acronym is, is, but he's like, hey, do you mind if I put your guide in my upcoming book? So he's releasing, I, I believe it's his third book, and our guide's going to be in his book. And I, I thought that was pretty cool that Dr. Hodges reached out to us and said, hey, is this okay? And of course, we said, yes, that's fine. But again, you know, we're not doctors, but we do have some people that do have some experience in naturopathic medicine. The one thing I also wanted to bring to your your listeners' attention is, you know, hey, PEG is everywhere, uh, and it's a big, big issue. Um, so when you do your laundry, you know, like in, in New York right now, New York is the only state right now that's cracking down on a chemical called 1,4-Dioxane. 1,4-Dioxane is a big problem. And it's a byproduct in the process of ethoxylated chemicals and polyethylene glycol might be the most widely used ethoxylated chemical out there today. And so I want to bring to your attention, like when you're doing your laundry, look at your laundry detergent and look for chemicals that either have like the F, like polyethylene glycol or uh, sodium lauryl sulfate. You know, or anything followed by a number like polyethylene glycol has many, many different molecular weights. Like what's in uh, Miralax is polyethylene glycol 3350, or we also see in the mRNA vaccines they use polyethylene glycol 2000. So what that is, that's just a different molecular size or molecular weight. But now those molecules, that's just an average of what's in that product. So in PEG 3350, you're going to find PEG 400, you're going to find PEG 20,000, but it's all going to average to PEG 3350. Hmm. So it's it's really interesting that this chemical is so widely used because it's petroleum based. It's bound with ethylene oxide. It's and in my world, it's a toxic ingredient. It shouldn't be on the market. But you know we're fighting <laughs> we're fighting big oil. You know because it's a petroleum based uh, product, and we're fighting the pharmaceutical industry because it's so widely used in pharmaceuticals. I actually have another source. Um, that told me that back in 2019, there are over 2,000 FDA-approved medicines that are pegulated. So what that what pegulated means is that they're coated with polyethylene glycol, because what the polyethylene glycol does is it allows the the medicine to get to where it needs to go. And so, and even um, we did a podcast with retired pathologist, Dr. David Bruns out of Virginia. And Dr. Bruns has a paper where he talks about, he used a burn cream that contained polyethylene glycol. And all approximately 10 of his patients, they all died from ethylene glycol poisoning. So what the what happened there is a polyethylene glycol contains ethylene glycol, and then his these patients must not have been able to metabolize it correctly. So the ethylene glycol shut down the organs and, and killed his patients. And so the, the podcast that I have from Dr. Bruns, it's our group did it. Uh, Will Banzano, who uh, he's an Emmy Award winning producer in Philadelphia, he did the podcast for us. But Dr. Bruns does talk about it's a 12 minute listen. It's a great podcast. And um, but he talks about how really like the polyethylene glycol and the ethylene glycol can be very toxic because of the aldehydes within this product before they convert to acids are are very are very damaging to the system. 
And um, so I'm actually working with some, I'm working with a large nonprofit group right now to test uh, um, polyethylene glycol 3350. And we're getting to the point of testing it in human samples. So I, I really hope and I pray that this testing continues because we need, we need funding. You know, we need money to continue on with this, with this testing. And uh, we have some very, very intriguing uh, results back before uh, just testing the product. And I can tell you right now, the acetaldehyde numbers and the formaldehyde numbers are ridiculous. Um, they're very, very high. And, um, and that alone is going to probably warrant the scientists that's doing the testing to, to write a paper on this. Mm-hmm. So that paper will be coming at some point, probably not this year, but hopefully by next year. But um, yeah, so we'll see. You know, it's, I'm excited about, you know, spreading the, the news on this drug because this drug is uh, this chemical. This chemical is just, and it's, I, I kid you not, polyethylene glycol is everywhere. And even when you don't think it's in something, it's there because like, I've done, a, if I can just touch on a little bit about, um, you know, my experience anyway, but I've done some research and um, looking at the excipients that are used in, I know vaccines are a very touchy subject but like the excipients that are used in, in vaccines. And there's even another paper on this talking about how um, Tritonex 100 um, is a derivative of polyethylene glycol. And Tritonex 100 is in a lot of vaccines. Um, polysorbates uh, 60, polysorbate 80 are in a lot of vaccines, petroleum-based chemicals that are very closely linked to polyethylene glycol. So, you know, to each one, you got to do what's in the best interest of you and your family. But, um, you know, it's just uh, just something to be on the lookout for, you know, just be on the lookout for these chemicals that are just, they're just not healthy for you and they're tough to avoid. And, um, and they're very, in my opinion, they're, they're very toxic and they're very dangerous. Yeah. And, and how you started all this with the fact that it's everywhere, it's in a lot of different products, you know, we're focusing on one, but, um, but this is that that's the reason why just being educated on this and playing better defense wherever you can. And that's the beautiful thing is there's going to be so many ways that you can avoid something that's toxic. And and going back to how you framed everything initially in terms of a big assumption is that PEG is an issue because it disrupts the microbiome, right? And there's a lot of science that demonstrates that 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 very well could be true. So if it disrupts the microbiome, You've talked about this before where antibiotics blow up your microbiome, right? That's kind of what they do. And and parents are wary of antibiotic overuse, right? And but it's the same principle here, right? With PEG. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and uh, and there's even papers out there comparing or maybe even using PEG in conjunction with antibiotics and with poly, I think like all 3350 to reset the microbiome. And there's, there's a paper from Penn University, and it's not even a paper, it's a, a quick mention by this Dr. Gary Wu, I believe is his name, and he works at Penn University, and he works with fecal microbial transplants. And what he does in his patients is he uses a, a couple antibiotics, then, then also the Miralax to reset the microbiome and, and really wipe it clean. Uh, the, the article is called Clean Slate. He, so he did it initially, obviously, in, in rodents or rabbits or whatever, but that he did it in humans. And he got the same result where he talks about like wiping the microbiome like a hundred times fold, you know, and it's, and it's just, and it's so, you know, I, I kid you not, Len, it, it just, it, it, it just, you know, I just, and I shake my head and I just, and I'm speechless because like, why are we okay? And they, and again, as I mentioned about the pegulated drugs, those mm-hmm. Those antibiotics, while I, I don't do like that kind of research, like looking into like, you know, are they are they coated with polyethylene glycol? Because the polyethylene glycol is what takes this medicine to where it needs to be to do what it needs to do. And that's exactly what Dr. Bruns talks about in that podcast that I mentioned about the burn cream. The polyethylene glycol takes that burn cream and it takes the intestinal barrier or the skin barrier in a burn patient that's already been compromised, right? We have the skin barrier. So Dr. Bruns talks about that, you know, the infection, you know, we don't know how deep these burns are. So the polyethylene glycol is used to dig deep down into that burn to get to where the infection is setting in. And then that drug opens up to treat that infection. And that's exactly what's going on with an antibiotic. We don't know where the issue lays until like that drug gets in there. And then the polyethylene glycol takes it to where it needs to go. 
and then the drug open up, opens up. And one thing I failed to talk about was, was the FDA mishap. You know, so the FDA, my friends, Jeannie and Carol, they petitioned the FDA in 2012. The FDA responded in 2014. The FDA said, hey, we're going to get the study done in 2015. We need to look at this off-label use because this is a problem. In that New York Times article that I talked about earlier, at that time, there were 167 adverse events. FDA spokesman Jeff Ventura in that New York Times article, he said most of those adverse events were similar to ethylene glycol poisoning. So the FDA is going to look into this by 2015. The FDA doesn't do it. 2017, Dr. Michael Bernstein sends my good friend Carol an email in 2017. Bernstein says, hey, we're going to get this done in 2018. This grant was awarded to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So CHOP's going to get the study done in 2018. CHOP has some internal issues. Dr. Rita Vu, she moves on to University of Chicago somewhere. So now CHOP has some problems. They can't get the study done in 2018. The FDA tells us in 2018, we don't know when this study is going to be done, but yet they issued this grant to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for $325,000 to do the study. Well, after five years of inactivity in 2019, the grant expires. And now they're telling us that, so the FDA reallocated some money back to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and now this study is supposedly going to be done by next June of 2024. So by, by the time that's all said and done, this grant was issued in 2014. Does a study ever take 10 years, especially when they look into the off-label use of a drug that's causing ethylene glycol poisoning in children? And, and it's just, you know, there's a couple acts out there that protect children. You know, when we talk about PREA, the Pediatric Research Equity Act of 2003, this study should have been done from what PREA says, but the FDA says because the drug was approved in 1999 as, as a script only, as a prescription only. Miralax was approved in February of 1999. So when it came over the counter in 2006, the FDA said because nothing changed, you know, the route of delivery, the dosing, the ingredients, nothing changed. They, they granted the manufacturer a waiver and did not have to comply with PREA, the Pediatric Research Equity Act. And boy, does that ever burn my rear end. You know, I'll be honest with you that, you know, when you see that, because even in the approval letter, the FDA initially granted the manufacturer a waiver of 10 years. So the, so the manufacturer was supposed to do the work by October of 2016, because in October of 2006, they granted them a waiver of 10 years. Well, sometime in around 2010, and the FDA has never told me when they issued this waiver, but in around 2010, the FDA said, hey, we'll give you a full waiver, we'll, we'll, we'll bypass the studies, and we'll, we'll forego the pediatric studies on this drug. So this drug has never been tested in pediatrics and the work so badly needs to be done because, you know, our group is growing exponentially. We're admitting about 2,000 new members every single month. So I anticipate that when the supposed study is supposed to be done by the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia June of next year, around June of next year, our group should have about 100,000 members. And hopefully by that time, that'll open up the eyes of the FDA and maybe we'll get this work done. Yeah, no, it's it's sad that it's growing in the sense that this is more and more people are experiencing problems, but wonderful that um that they're we're combining in forces to get this message out and to get something done. And what you just teed up really is important for parents to understand. I know it took me a while. I kept wanting to believe that the government, government agencies have my back. They're, you know, that they they got this. And when you look at how things actually unfold. It's just not there, which is why parents, as much as possible, need to play defense to take action. So I applaud you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the awareness and everything that you and, and the, the Facebook group are doing. And we'll include links to all of that and for trying to help promote the research. And I know how hard it is to do independent research. And just like with antibiotics, like we talked about before, uh, no reasonable parent would ever agree to their child being on antibiotics for weeks because it's known now that that's a long period of time. There's a lot of downstream negative effects of bombarding your, your gut, your microbiome with antibiotics in a prolonged way. Most doctors would say that's not a good idea. Well, Miralax, if it does impact negatively the microbiome, all the more reason prolonged use is something that just can't be an option. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I really appreciate you having me on and, you know, to, you know, bring to your listeners the information and I like to think the knowledge that I have, you know, to, my personal story, you know, and even, you know, the other personal stories that we see in our group every day, you know, when I admit new members to our group and I see, you know, seizures, you know, I, I tell you, it's, it's a punch in the gut, you know, cause it's like, gosh, you know, here's another one. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so disheartening, you know, and, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about antibiotics, you know, would you ever give your child an antibiotics for, for long-term weeks, months, years, whatever it might be. And the answer is no. Well, then why would you ever give your child or why would you ever take Miralax? For an extended, and especially once you understand what polyethylene glycol is, and that's why you know I like to make myself available. I'm available anytime. You know, if anybody comes to our group, um, I'm working on a on a web page. I actually have it published right now. There's not a whole lot there, um, but nomorepeg.com is going to be my work where I will bring uh, you know maybe not my personal story to it, but my my research and um, and whatnot to it and. And uh, in talking more extensive, I've given the people the option to like, if they just want to read about Miralax, if they want to read about, you know, where, where else PEG is used, or even in the cosmetics and agricultural chemicals, you know, that's, you know, that's a whole nother avenue. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about, you know, finally at the, you know, at this stage of my life, I finally have a, a passion, you know, because, um, you know, it's, I tell you what me and my family went through, it was not pleasant. And, um, and so I never thought this was how I'd be living like, this, this stage of my life, you know, and that I want to bring awareness about this chemical because uh, I want others to avoid what we've been through and lived through. So it's, yeah, it's, sure. it's really, it's a great, I enjoy it. It's, it's, I really enjoy talking to anybody and everybody about it. Great. Well, no, I'm sure people will appreciate that. And yes, we're on similar paths in the sense that, hey, we've learned a lot by what we've each gone through and trying to support our child. And it's just about not that we have all the answers, but helping parents to get better equipped, better informed. You listening will know what's right for your child. But this time, we hope that this discussion helps shed light on uh, that there's a lot to understand here and to um, to, again, if it's relevant for you and your family. There's a lot you can do. Your 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 Facebook group, uh, Parents Against Miralax. Um, I know in terms of what else you can do, because that's the big question. Uh, there's definitely going to be some resources there. Uh, but the key thing is, is yeah, as effective as the product may be, there are other alternative options. Sometimes maybe it's just persistence using them or just finding that right fit for your child. Uh, but yeah, definitely something to take seriously. And again, we really appreciate the work you're doing and for sharing your voice. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, Alana. I really appreciate it. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.